Episode 30 Back to Reality Original Air Date 26th of March 1992 Hello and welcome to Scuttercast number 30. This week I'm joined by Anthony. Hello. And that's it. We'll be reviewing the episode Back to Reality after a quick synopsis read by Anthony. The crew discover the wreckage of the ship SSS Esperanto on the ocean planet which has been marine seeded. The crew has committed suicide and all life has disappeared except for a gigantic squid which immobilises its prey by squirting an ink which induces despair. In attempting to get away, the crew crash Starbug but wake up to find they have been playing a Red Dwarf computer game for the last four years with a success rating of 4%. Lister discovers he is really Sebastian Doyle, despot in uh, fascist government. Rimmer is Billy Doyle, his dropout alky, yak urine centred half brother. Crichton is Jake Bullitt, traffic control supremo. The cat is Dwayne Dibley, the most tragically unhip geek in the galaxy. The despair this induces nearly causes the crew to commit suicide until Holly manages to convince them they've been hallucinating and welcomes them back to reality. Right, thank you very much, Anthony, and thank you very much to Smeekheed for another fine synopsis. Right, just before we get on with the episode review, uh, you've just got a few things to mention. Yeah, it's um, it's with sadness when I've watched this episode that I actually realised it's um, it's Hattie's last ever appearance on Red Dwarf oh, as Holly. Yeah. It's uh, she she never returns to the role. Um, this is it for, her, isn't it? And unless she's going to be in the new ones, maybe. But yeah, um, yeah, that was it. It's. Uh, just suddenly dawned on me as I was watching it. it was, oh, right, yeah, last time we see her. <laughs> uh, they also, at the time of recording this, they they did think it could possibly be the last ever episode of um, Our Red Dwarf. Right. Um, Chris Barry was obviously busy with the British Empire. Yeah. Uh, and Robert Llewellyn was headed to America for the Red Dwarf USA project. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it, it looked like it could be the final episode. Um this episode, obviously, it's one of the best ones from Series Five. Uh, so one of the one of the main reasons that Series Five was nominated for an International Emmy Award. Yep. Uh, this episode also won a BBC viewers' vote in 1995 for the best Red Dwarf episode ever. Yep, I totally agree. I love the episode. But anyway, let's not spoil the score, shall we? <laughs> right. The first scene starts and the crew are in Starbuck and it looks like they're in the bottom of a fish tank. Well, it, it looks like a fish tank. It, yeah, if the first shot, if you actually look at it, the air bubbles are sinking, not rising. Right. So they're either upside down in the fish tank or um, the shot's playing in reverse or something. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, not the not the best effects they've had. No. Um, there we find out that they're searching for the black box recording from the SSS Esperanto. I say that when you've had a few to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the SSS Esperanto was introducing oceanic life into a potential S3 planet, which then I thought, if it's only a potential S3 planet, then isn't it a little bit cruel um, adding the marine life? Because if it's only a potential planet, does that mean it doesn't yet sustain life? Ooh. Couldn't help you with that. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming with it being a seeding ship, they'll have set up all the ecosystem yeah, yeah, sure. before putting you know, animal life into it. Yeah. Um, well, 
this was filmed the um the scenes uh, aboard the uh, Esperanto um it's obviously Sunbury pumping station again yeah uh, I was listening to the commentary and Robert Llewellyn says that it is now a museum um this is obviously at the time of recording the commentary it's yeah, a sure. museum whether it still is or not, I don't know. Uh, but one thing that interests me, all the recording we've seen done at Sunbury Pumping Station, Yeah. Um, he says it was also used in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, really? <laughs> Which, yeah, that came as a surprise for me. If you, if you watch it, the Toot Sweet song scene. Oh, yeah. It just made me smile that, uh, that you know, that uh, this is Sunbury Pumping Station, the, uh, you know, where the Inquisitor chased them down, and uh, it, well, countless, countless episodes been there, aren't they? Oh, that's fantastic. They find out that they've got five million years of evolution in only three solar years, which is pretty good going, to be honest. There's meant to be sea life all around them, but they haven't found any. Um, Lister starts to get worried that some gigantic, weird, prehistoric leviathan, who has porked his entire way through the ocean, would be catching up with them pretty soon. Lister finds some dead bodies with a gunshot wound to its head, and Crichton says that it's probably self-inflicted, so it looks like it's committed suicide. There's another guy that's hung himself. There's even a haddock that suffocated itself by committing suicide. It's uh, jumped out of the water. Lister finds some, well, it's kind of like a green goo on the floor, and he puts his hand in it. I mean, that's a bit silly. I mean, if everybody's dead, the last thing you'd do is put your hand in, like, green gooey stuff. (laughs) Uh, Crichton tells them that his best guess is some sort of hallucinogenic venom secreting from the piscine sauce that's come from some kind of octopus or giant squid. Well, he, he describes it as um, an hallucinogenic venom secreted from a piscine sauce. But, uh, I mean, this is the first uh, fault, which is over-analysis again. Yeah. Uh, an octopus or a squid is not a piscine. Um, they are actually mollusks. Or so it said when I looked into it. Um, so, yeah, not fish-like or piskeen at all. It's uh, more mollusky, more <laughs> closer to a snail. Right. <laughs> snail slime. <laughs> okay. When Crichton's finished with the size scan, he's basically finished analysing, and Crichton absolutely bricks it for some reason, and he demands that they have to go, and they have to go now. And all of a sudden you get another running session. So the leg it. Crichton explains that the ink that Lister put his hand in was an hallucinogen, causes despair, and that's what's killed everybody else. As they're on the way back to Starbug, they're all crying their eyes out, or I should say, Cat and Lister are. But there's Crichton is as well, which makes makes it feel a bit strange because surely he wouldn't have been affected by it. That depends if his programming has been broken enough. Does he feel emotion, Crichton? Um, he doesn't. He have an emotion chip. He starts, he's not, he's, he's not supposed to feel emotions such as joy or pleasure. Yeah. And he, he starts to feel that during Camille. Yeah. And that's when he starts questioning. So presumably by now he's, uh, he's, he's maybe got a full array of um, emotions. Yeah. And so, yeah, he joins in with the, um, the feel of depression that comes over them all. Yeah. You know, the fact that nobody's loved him, cat's upset because uh, he has to always be the strong one. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I have to be the strong one? Um, so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah. I'm assuming Crichton's just uh, same as same as them. He's uh, he's obviously learnt to emote. Is that the right word? Yeah, emote. 
The next scene starts and Crichton tells them that there's a blob the size of New Mexico on the sonarscape moving towards them. Holly calls it the suicide squid and says it's 2,000 fathoms above them. And basically you see this moving down the scope and it's heading towards them. Um, very like the scene in Back to Earth. This is all very similar scene, isn't it? Yeah, it's well, Back to Earth is actually a, a sequel to this episode, yeah, really, isn't yeah. it? So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, even down to the, the previous comment, the blob the size of New Mexico on the sonar, you know, they they have a another version of that line in the Back to Earth episode. That's and, right, yeah. The next scene starts, and they're all in Starbug, and as we mentioned before, they're watching the sonarscope. They can see it heading towards them. Lister and Cat, I noticed, had breathing masks on uh, for some reason. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I noticed it, and I'm not sure why. I was thinking. Well, did, didn't they go on foot to the Esperanto? So at some point they have to enter the ocean floor and walk across it as if they're in um, deep dive suits. Uh, I thought it was more them trying to save themselves from infection. No, I th- I'm assuming it's just what they've still got on from, uh, you know, an out of ship underwater stroll, would you call it? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> they see the Leviathan dive for them, so they decide to leg it um so off they go in starbug it chases them down covers them in ink it crashes and all of a sudden starbug blows up that's it i remember seeing this for the first time i was like oh my god <laughs> what's just happened yeah it's um exactly the same thoughts you know well hang on what what's happening here this, this can't be right they can't do this and as much as you know as much as you go on to enjoy the episode um it 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 is just a feel of, you know, hang on, this can't be right. They can't be doing this. You know, this yeah. isn't, you know, uh, yeah, there was that moment of doubt. Um, well, apparently this, the effect of the despair squid as it uh, chased them down. Yeah. They, uh, there was quite a bit of time and money spent um, with model effects for the despair squid. And they actually felt that it just didn't look right. And so they just scrapped the whole thing. And that's why oh, you right. get this very simple uh, not very good, I suppose. Simple shadow effect that's added yeah, yeah. in post-production. Right, okay, I didn't know that. I actually quite like the effect, to be honest. I thought it was simple, but it's just like that inky kind of... It, I think it follows on into the whole it's a game illusion. Yeah, well, yeah. The way it sort of like fades into that, it's as if... Um, it's almost as if you've started coming out of the reality before the actual crash itself. Yeah, kind of like a fade between the two, yeah. Mm, yeah. The next scene starts and all of a sudden you see like a, a screen and it says machine 16, game over, score, 4%, red dwarf. And again, I remember seeing this for the first time. I thought, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, this is this is exactly what you're feeling at the time. It's uh, you're dazed, you're confused, but at the same time trying to keep up to, you know, up with all the gags and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, now this is... Uh, the room that they use for the uh, artificial reality suite for these games rooms, yeah, uh, it's actually the hollow ship set. It's uh, been redressed. Oh right, okay. So uh, you know, like the the hollow ship, everything was white and gleaming. Yes, yeah. uh, they've just redressed it to make it grubby and dirty and what have you. And uh, but yeah, it's the it's the same set from uh, the hollow ship. Oh right, okay. The screen pan. I should say the camera pans back. And you see four people sat in the chairs all with, like, face masks on. There's a voiceover that says, For the last four years you've been engaged in a total immersion video game, Red Dwarf. And then it continues to say, 
As all the role players' adventures, you will experience certain amounts of disorientation after leaving the game. It will be several minutes before your real-life memories return. So in the meantime, please disengage the game playing machine and relax until an attendant is free to answer any of your questions. On behalf of Leisure World International, may we be the first to say welcome back to reality. And I, again, I mean, I remember seeing the, this for the first time on the Beep and thinking, hang on, this is the last one in the series. Is this it? Is this game over for them? And it was. It, basically, those four just popped out of a chair, same way as you, you'd pop out of a chair in like... Um, like a merry-go-round or, you know, like a, a fair ride, uh, just with a very dizzy look on the face. All the crew look totally different. I mean, Rimmer isn't a hologram. Crichton is half human. He's just got like a metal plate in his head. Uh, the cat has like this bull cut and this huge teeth and Lister's got like long hair. Well, the one of the interesting things with this is um, it's like, you know, you say you originally you know it's the last episode. Yeah. And you're thinking, hang on, are they, are they finishing it? Is this going to be it? Yeah, you know, yeah. And you're questioning yourself. Um, when this series was repeated in, I think it was in 1994, yeah. um, this episode was actually the first one that was broadcast. Ah, okay. And if you remember the old VHSs as well, this was the first one on the Bytes 1 video. Obviously, they want... Whichever was the leading episode on each cassette, yeah, uh, two per series, it was the um, the one that they wanted to get you in, grab your attention, and what have you. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's uh, just uh, to me, it makes sense for this to be the last one in the series, um, as it was originally broadcast. You sit there and you're scratching your head, thinking, um, you know, is is this right? You know, can, can they be doing this? They can't do this, you know, what have you. But yeah, it's. Uh, the very first one in both the VHS video order and the 94 uh, repeat order. Yeah, yeah. The attendant walks in, I think his name's Andy, and he explains that it's a popular game and it's got a two-year waiting list and they've got over 20 machines and there's loads and loads of people playing Red Dwarf, the game. The thing I can't understand is when they first come out of these machines, yeah. with the exception of Rimmer, everybody's got well-trimmed and styled hair. Yeah. Well, I say styled. It's uh, Dwayne Dibley is hardly styled, but it's it's <laughs> it's cut. You know, yeah. It's it's cut, and yeah, if they've been in this machine for years, it just seems strikes me as a bit weird that they should have all the uh, full beards and everything. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially this face hood. You know, the the mask covered the whole head, didn't it? The face and everything. Yeah. Uh, oh well. Um, well, of course, as you say, uh, Andy comes in, the attendant, and this is uh, Timothy Spall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, according to the commentary, although he's an established actor, um, he struggled in front of a live audience, and they had to redo this scene because of his nerves. Oh, right. uh, He's appeared in you know, everything off Weeders Ain't Pet. Uh, he was uh, Peter Pettigrew or Wormtongue in Harry Potter. Um Interestingly, as well, he provides a voice in Grand Theft Auto Vice City stories. Oh, okay. So, I remember him uh, from yeah. Afuida scene. Yeah, that's where I, that's where I mostly remember him from. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's an established bloke. I've seen him in all sorts, but that was the first time he came to my attention. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it just struck me as um, just strange that uh, he'd never performed in front of a live audience before. Not not that strange, I suppose, but uh, it came as a surprise. Yeah. Um, the other thing as well, there's a t they state that there's a two-year waiting list for Red Dwarf. Yeah. Right. Now, Billy Doyle 
and I suppose Dwayne Dibley as well, they don't come across as being the sort of people that would have money. Um, no. And so I would wonder how the hell did Dwayne Dibley and Billy Doyle afford to play Red Dwarf? Uh, even Crichton, you know, we discover later on that he's, uh, he's a traffic cop. You know, you thought he would have struggled. It would have been a lifetime saving to come and play this two-year waiting listed game, you know. Yeah, well, uh, there's something, again, that doesn't add up towards the end. I mean, well, I mean, this is a later scene, but they mention that it's a Doyle party. Yeah, yeah. Which would suggest that all these people all knew each other and one person was paying for it all, or it was booked under, um, well, Billy Doyle or... Sebastian Doyle. Yeah. It's, now, you see, that's weird as well. Um, they don't strike me as... Uh, we don't know any history of them as characters. In fact, there is no history. No, it's there an hallucination. Yeah, yeah. Right? But if there was a history, you know, um, they don't strike me as the closest of brothers. You get the impression that they don't have much to do with each other. Correct. Yeah, they, they end up spending a couple of years together in this game. Perhaps that's why... Uh, perhaps that's why... Um, Sebastian was there. Perhaps he wanted a couple of years away and looked up his old brother that he's had nothing to do with for years, and that for it. Yeah, a little bit strange, but to be honest, I love the episode, so I, I can't find any faults. <laughs> Andy asked how they died, and when they explained that it was a despair squid, he he told him the answer. He says they were meant to use the laser on the Esperanto, and when Rim says, "What do you mean?" He says. Esperanto, that, that's the clue, isn't it? Esperanto, hope, hope defeats despair, despair, the despair squid. It's a blatant clue, isn't it? Blatant. <laughs> Lister was apparently supposed to get with Kachansky, and that was his goal in the game. He says, oh, well, at least you went to the planet of the nymphs. Didn't you really enjoy yourself there? And I'm like, what? He asked what they thought. What did you think of the planet of the nymphs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, don't tell me you missed that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm trying to not do a Brummie accent. <laughs> yeah, because he has got a very, very strong Brummie accent, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and then he explains, says, the truth behind Rimmer, the eye in the Rimmer swimming certificate, that was a clue behind Rimmer couldn't swim. In the eye was the message from the captain. He was a hand-picked special agent from the Space Corp, and he had his memory erased and was programmed to behave like a complete twonk. <laughs> so no one would suspect that he was on a mission to destroy Red Dwarf in order to guide Lister to his destiny as the creator of the second universe. This is the, uh, by jump starting the second Big Bang with jump leads on Starbuck. <laughs> yeah, extremely <laughs> far-fetched. Well, this, well, he says, it, he says um, well, that's it, isn't it? It's ironic that Lister, the ultimate atheist, ends up actually being God. Um, but Lister says, Lister isn't an atheist. In the last day, he says he's a pantheist. An atheist denies the existence. I've actually, I've actually looked all this up on the internet to be sure. Um, an atheist denies the existence of God, and a pantheist believes God to be the universe and everything in it. You know, everything oh, natural okay. as God, as opposed to a separate being. Oh, okay. um, so yeah, it's uh, it's not totally true about Lister being the ultimate atheist, but uh, it were good for a crack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just as they're leaving the room, the next four, well, I guess, cast in the game. Um, so the next Rimmer, Crichton, Lister and Rimmer turn up um, and pass them in the doorway. Which, for me, if, if your memories were all over the place, you'd be like, well, hang on, they're just about to seal our identity. That must be very weird. Well, I... I mean, one of my fears was that they're going to carry Red Dwarf on with this new cast, with these four new people. Yeah, I remember feeling that too. And, you know, because your head's all over the place at the original time of watching it. You know, what the hell is happening? Um, for some reason as well, I always thought that the new Lister 
In fact, I'm sure I might have mentioned it on an earlier podcast. Um, I'd read somewhere or I'd heard somewhere that the new lister that appears in this episode was Craig Birko from Red Dwarf USA. Okay. But it isn't. Ah. It's actually, it's a totally different actor called John Sharian, um, who he's been in CSI Miami, Spooks, uh, Fifth Element, Saving Private Ryan, uh, Lost in Space, you know, quite, quite an extensive list. Yeah. But it's not Craig Birko, which, um, for some reason, I'd got it into my head. It was a bit weird, this one. Uh, most of the others that appear of these these new, uh, the new crew of Red Dwarf, um, they've not actually done that much. Um, now, the new Kachansky was actually Anastasia Hill, um, who'd been in Lewis and The Bill and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's not not much of the cast from these four. There's not much of note from these four. Okay. The next scene starts and they're in the recuperation lounge and basically they're all trying to come to terms with what's going on with this actual reality. Oh, I was mistaken before. The woman walks in and asks for Dwayne Dibley. It's the Dibley party. So just like we were saying before, that makes even less sense. Uh, I would, It would have made sense if it were the Dole party because Sebastian Dole paying for it all. But the Dibley party, he doesn't look like he's got two bents rubbed together does he no it's it just doesn't seem to make sense that he would be the head of the party yeah and um, why though the other three would associate with him well danny danny said i got to laugh because danny says that his wigs for red dwarf um they're always uh expensive yeah um this particular wig the Dwayne dibley one they went to a shop in marston and they found it in a box at the back of a storeroom, right at the bottom of the box. And the shop actually said, I said, we can have that one for free. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The teeth, they were done by a proper dentist. Right. This is from the commentary again. And the dentist that actually made the uh, Dibley teeth, um, Danny John Jules still uses to this day, or to the day of recording the commentary. Right, okay. (laughs) Which... I'm not sure what he uses them for, but (laughs) opening (laughs) bottles maybe... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> place of worship when he does his druid <laughs> <laughs> she hands the bag to him and in the Dwayne bag there's an anorak white socks nylon shirt plastic sandals artex vest cardigan and keys to the salvation army hostel which again if he's got keys to the it, it doesn't sound like he's the kind of guy that could afford to pay for four people to go into well, a, a lifelong arcade game because if they've only done four percent and been playing for two years, potentially there's fifty years worth of playing there. Mm. Well, they they do say that um, the kind of person Dwayne Dibley is. Yeah, you know, they they basically say that you'd give every penny you've you could ever own to actually play a a role like the cat. So looking at it that way, I suppose if he's put every penny he's ever earned into the um, playing this game, yeah, yeah. it could explain why he's got such cheap clothing and a key for the Salvation Army hostel. Which could, yeah, okay, I'll take that back. Uh, Crichton, the find out, is Jake Bollett. He's a detective from the cybernautics of division. Cast commentary again. Um, Robert Llewellyn admits to having the Jake Bullet. Uh, police badge back at his house right okay um, he says his kids played with it you know when they were younger um also uh, danny john jules says that he took his Dwayne dibley id card home with him as well so <laughs> it looked like it was common practice for the uh, for the borrow things <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's take stuff home <laughs> 
Uh, the next bag it doesn't have any ID on, or should I say it doesn't have a photo, but it's Billy Doyle. And Rimmer goes through, I don't know, he goes through maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute with a description of what Billy Doyle will look like, or should I say what Billy Doyle will be, thinking it's Lister. And he says, uh, essentially describes him as like a modern day, what a chav is now, or, or like a redneck uh, for our American listeners. Yeah. Well, he describes a uh, an armed robbery. It goes wrong, and the old lady gets both barrels. And, yeah. and you know, basically, it's like a tragic story of. Uh, and he turns him into a Billy the Kid type character, doesn't he? Yeah. You know, an Esperado. And then when he finds out it's uh, he is Billy Doyle. Yeah. It, it changes tone totally. Billy Doyle, good old William Doyle, yeah. fantastic <laughs> man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> And then the final one, uh, Sebastian Doyle, that's Lister, is in the CGI. Essentially, the, you find out that Sebastian and Billy Doyle are both brothers, uh, well, half-brothers. They've got the same mother. Again, do you think this was something, I mean, because we all know it's about despair and basically it's, it's trying to get to them. Do you think the fact that Lister finds out that Rimmer is his half-brother is enough to turn him? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that's the despair. <laughs> What this is just it? Um, Crichton. Well, well, we'll bring it up later because yeah, it's okay. um, you know, it, yeah, it all comes to a head later, don't it? When we find out what's actually going off. Yeah. The next scene starts, and they all leave dressed in their new clothes. Lister walks past like a terminal, and he looks at uh, Machine Sixteen, and it's totally different. And it was very, it was very cheesy uh, what he was seeing. I mean, they were still playing the same characters, but they were acting totally different. And it did remind me of the American version. Just it was that amount of cheese, if you know what I mean. Not saying that Americans are cheesy. I just thought the the American version of uh, Red Dwarf was a totally different kettle of fish to the ours. And the funny thing is, is they've only been in there a uh, couple of hours as well at most. Yeah, and they've, they've got Kachansky. And... They've, they've achieved a lot more than what our crew uh, achieved in uh, two years, was it? Yeah. There's a couple of signs outside that say, vote fascist for the third glorious decade of total law enforcement. And then another one, it says, be a government informer. Betray your family and friends. Fabulous prizes to be won. It's very much like the Hitler Youth and what yeah. have you. Um, they walk into the, the, the car park or the parking lot and Lister has a full limo with vote one on the reg plate. This little girl runs past him and there's, there's a man all in black. It looks very villainish. If you can look at a stereotypical villain, is this guy. And he's chasing him with a gun. He finds out it's because she stole an apple. Uh, that's why he's, he's, he's trying to hunt her down. It's an, an apple of the people. Yeah. Uh, well, this this law enforcer, uh, it's played by Lenny Von Dolan, yeah. um, who had not long before appeared in Twin Peaks, uh, before appearing in Red Dwarf. Now, he appeared uh, on Red Dwarf after speaking to Frances Barber, who played Jenny Mutant in Polymorph. Oh, okay. And she said she recommended that he do it. Um, and I, the thing that interested me most when I checked out his IMDb page is, can you remember Electric Dreams, yes. the 1984 movie? Yeah. And he got the main character, Miles, who, due to a mistype in the computer, ends up calling him Moles. Um, it's Lanny Van Dolan. Wow. The main, guy, the main guy from Electric Dreams is our law enforcer in uh, Back to Reality. From 10 years previous. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Jake Bullock tries to step in. He's like, no, I'm Jake Bullock, Cybernautics Division. He says, um, you're traffic control. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
he keeps calling Lister voter colonel and he's the he's head of the Ministry of Alteration. Basically, he alters people from being living to dead and basically he kills people to fix voting. Or this, well, this was my assumption from it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. The guy, the Lenny Von Dolan, he then shoots at the girl as she runs off and Crichton shoots him instead. It then flicks back to Red Dwarf and they're in exactly the same positions, but Crichton has a crossbow in his hand instead. So at this, I remember this point thinking, hang on, <laughs> what's going on here? Because it's like flicking between the two, so you can see what they're actually seeing and thinking and feeling, but what's actually happening on Red Dwarf. So you, I assume from this, oh, oh, right, they're hallucinating. I think it's it's both confusion and also relief. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, as much as you was enjoying seeing what was happening, you didn't want it to be the end of their adventures on the Red Dwarf. Absolutely, you didn't yeah. want them to go out like that. And um, so to actually see them back on the ship and they're hallucinating, um, such a feel of relief, and you're able to relax and actually enjoy what's left to come that little bit more. And, I mean, this next scene is an absolute classic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Crichton himself is absolutely gutted because he's killed somebody, and Crichton being Crichton, the last thing he wants to do is kill somebody. They all jump in the limo and they basically boot it out of there. However, you're seeing it, how what's happening in reality, so on Starbuck. So somehow they've managed to put a load of crates together and they've virtually got into a car. And you see them driving along and they're shooting out the windows and there's bikes, there's helicopters, they're smashing through barriers, jumping over bridges. And it's fantastically done because all you see, I mean, there was like speed bumps. It's like the first two would bob up and then the back two would bob up. <laughs> it's very, I very mean, well done. There's the, there's the classic outtake as well, the uh, the classic smeg-ups uh, with Rimmer falls off the box. Yeah. As they're jumping up and down, his box actually falls over. Yeah. Uh, if you watch it, he does actually move a little more gingerly than the others as he's jumping up and down on his box <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it it's so funny to actually watch isn't it because you see it both it, what you're actually seeing you can imagine the whole chase but actually all you're seeing is them sat on four boxes in one room yeah yeah which is you know? very very well done you're right though you, you can imagine it i mean they're like right helicopters right bikes and they're all looking out the the corresponding windows and everything like that yeah and you can imagine yeah. them, isn't it it's very good even down to the sunroof you know he unwinds the sunroof and has a look through there yeah <laughs> Anyway, they dump the car, they leg it, and says, right, run! And you just see him running around in circles. They're running around these boxes. Crichton's basically lost it. He wants to kill himself because he's killed somebody. And Crichton being Crichton, that's against everything he knows. Lister doesn't like who he's become in this world. Basically, neither do the other two. They find out that Jake Bullet's only got one bullet, so they all stand in a row with their heads together and say, right, well, if you're going to go, then I'm going to go. We're going to kill ourselves. Yeah, this single bullet going to pass through every single one of their heads. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now the the thing is, if you watch uh, all the way through this episode, yeah, the crossbow has no bolt in it. Ah, okay. Until this final scene when they line up with you know try and line up with all the heads up, and yeah, when it comes yeah. to the red shots, you know of what's actually happening to him, it's got a crossbow bolt in it with a massive massive arrowhead on it. It's like a it's like a whale harpoon, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's like where the hell did that come from? I know we see Crichton reload. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it just seems weird that does the way they go about that. I bet health and safety were sat there giving it. Don't, don't, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Because <laughs> I could have done some damage firing off. I mean, I, I'm sure there was many, many safety precautions in place, but still, <laughs> it got a rubber tip on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a cork on the end. 
Holly gets through to Crichton finally on a higher frequency. And it gets them to turn the valve on the fire extinguisher, actually in the game, uh, which is lithium carbonate in the real world. I actually um, decided to look up lithium carbonate on the uh, internet, see what it actually is. Okay. Um, it is a real-life treatment for depression. This shows how uh, over-analysis, <laughs> over-analytic anal- we get in. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting anyway. Um, it is a real-life treatment for depression, but it is not in a gaseous form. Oh, okay. It's usually in the form of a stable salt. Ah. Uh, it doesn't turn to a vapour until it hits 1,310 degrees Celsius. That's a little bit warm. Um, so, yeah, the uh, <laughs> this mood stabiliser, lithium carbonate, uh, technically speaking, they couldn't release it in gas form, uh, not without melting the uh, cast's lungs. Right, OK. And everything else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, as you said, it's a mood stabiliser and it brings them all back. Crichton then does his job for the episode and explains what was going on and they were all going to commit suicide. Well, you've got uh, Crichton obviously says, um, of course, the hallucinations were designed to induce despair, to attack the very things we each consider quintessential to our self-esteem. Take Mr. Rimmer. Back there, he could no longer blame his failings and shortcomings on his parents because he shared an upbringing with with you, sir, indicating Lister, his richer, more important half-brother. Yeah. Right. Now, the point I want to make here is, right, can he blame his parents in the real world for his um, shortcomings? Right. Yes, Lister in this uh, hallucination was more successful. His brothers in real life were They were as far removed from himself as Billy was from Sebastian. Yeah, yeah. So does that mean that our Rimmer is as suicidal and, you know, disparate as uh, Billy Doyle was? I think he does it, but in a special Rimmer way, doesn't he? He, I think he's depressed. It pushes that onto everybody else. Basically, regardless of how his siblings turn out, he still blames his parents and his siblings for his shortcomings. Yeah. Which makes me think that in this... um, in this world of Billy Doyle, uh, if that had been true, he would have, you know, Rimmer being Rimmer would have done the same thing. He would have blamed his parents and uh, would probably have blamed Sebastian Doyle as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's th- that one had me scratching my head a bit. Yeah. Then you've got the cat um, lost his cool. Uh, Crichton explains that the cat lost his cool and life for him no longer had any meaning because he is so mind-meltingly shallow. Yeah. <laughs> right Now, cat turns around and says, superficial is my middle name, which, yes, it's great and it works, and yes, I can imagine the cat rather dying than living life as Dwayne Dibley. Yeah. Right. When did cat start using words like superficial? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> It has evolved a lot from fish. Well, he he struggled with the word yo-yo in series one, didn't he? Yeah, it's it's, my shiny thing. It just struck me as a bit weird, that. And then, obviously, Crichton goes on to explain that um, Lister uh, always prided himself on being a good man, a man of moral courage. Uh, So when you thought you were a mass-murdering butcher in a totalitarian state, despair, despair destined to drive you over the edge. Yeah. and then Lister turns around to Crichton and says, and with you, it was taking a human life, which they, those two work, but they do, uh, yeah. yeah, I've got, I stand, <laughs> I take issue with the use of the word superficial from the cat. Yeah. And I take issue with the fact that Rimmer would want to kill himself because uh, I, 
I can't see what difference there is, you know, what they've actually done to induce the despair in this alternate reality that doesn't already exist in the actual reality. Unless it's just the fact that it's Lister. Now that, yes, that could be, that could work, I suppose. Um, certainly Series 1, Series 2 Rimmer would have been more uh, more depressed at having Lister more successful than himself as a half-brother. Yeah, because he's always been safe in the knowledge that Lister is always below him, and to find out that Lister is actually better than him, more successful, and richer. That actually does work, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The final scene starts, and the takeoff, and Lister gives his big, long speech. It's um, Yeah, those, those planet engineers really screwed up in a big way here, didn't they? Playing God, the evolutionary process threw up a life force so much stronger and more deadly than any other species. Damn near wiped out everything on the entire planet, spreading despair and destruction wherever it stuck its ugly mush. Crichton um, then suggests that he reminds him of humans, <laughs> but he wouldn't get that unless you're a mechanoid. <laughs> <laughs> these final speeches that we get from Lister, yeah. uh, I suppose they're sort of like um, Jeremy, J- uh, Jerry Springer final yeah, the, thoughts. the final thoughts, yeah. Aren't they crap? <laughs> 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 I don't think I've enjoyed one yet. <laughs> no, but I think this is trying to... It does give a good ending. It's a light-hearted ending to this series. And at the end of the day, we're we're all... At the time, I, I certainly, I'm speaking for myself, I was sat there relieved that, um, phew, it's, you know, it's been reset to how it was at the start of the episode. Yeah. It isn't the end of Red Dwarf, and um, that's it for Series 5. Can't wait till next year when Series 6 comes out. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Very good. Right, that's episode review over, and next, the scores. I know we've said a few things about this, but it's got to be one of my favourite episodes. 10 out of 10. What more can I say? Uh, what about you, Anthony? Yeah, it's a fantastic episode. You know, like like I've written it down here again, but we've said it quite a few times. You know, actually sitting there saying, they, they can't be in a game. They, this can't be it. You know, they can't finish it like this. Are, you know, are they going to finish it like this? And it was such an amazing feel. Yeah, it's a uh, roller coaster now, almost. For some reason, Confidence and Paranoia still remains my favourite episode. Yeah. Right. Okay. I can turn around and I can state that this episode is better than Confidence and Paranoia. Oh. But I personally prefer Confidence and Paranoia for whatever reason. I think it's just Craig Ferguson as Confidence. It just cracks me up. Yeah, yeah. But it is such a perfect episode, this one. I couldn't do anything other than give it 10 out of 10 as well. Excellent. Well, that's quite easy to work out. That's 100%. That's, well, that's obviously the highest of the episode. Um, highest of the series. <laughs> highest of the episode. <laughs> Uh, we sh- we really should contact the others, you know, when we get just the two of us scoring. <laughs> I'm sure that there's been episodes that have been unfairly underscored, and this one coming in at 100. percent I'm sure Nick or Andy, one of them at least, would have given it an eight or a nine out of ten, just to level it out a little. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's going in as 100. percent Yeah, that's it. Right, next section is what's going down in Groovestown after a quick advertisement for Captain Kremen, which was actually created by Anthony. 21st Century, in association with Worldwide Distribution Services, a subsidiary of Intercontinental Video, presents a Remarkable Enterprises production. Captain, Captain Kremen. Kremen. 
You're the only man alive that can handle this mission, Kremen. I know, sir. It's up to you to save my empire, Captain. Yes, Your Majesty. Do you realize, Kremen, that the fate of the continental United States is in your hands? Fear not, Mr. President. It's not for nothing that they call me the world's most fabulous man. Computer readout. Subject, Captain Elvis Brandenburg Kremen. Born December 25th, 1950. Height, 6 foot 10. Physical attributes, supreme athlete, concert pianist, concord pilot, mountain climber, diplomat, space captain, and genius. IQ, 498. All right, dudes. What's going down in Groovetown, then? Groovetown. Over to you, Anthony. Yeah, well, first off, a bit of an apology for that uh, Captain Kremen advert. Uh, all I did was I took the audio, and I've not done any editing before. Darren does all the editing, so I just chopped off the beginning, chopped off the end. That's the bit I want. So if it's a, if it's a bit of an abrupt finish or start, uh, apologies for that. It was just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. It's uh, it's all quiet on the Red Dwarf front, a uh, little too quiet. So if anybody has heard anything, uh, please write in and let us know. Um, if you've heard anything about the new series being filmed or when being filmed or where being filmed or anything, uh, we can be trusted to keep your names anonymous if that's what you want. Uh, we can even be trusted to keep it to ourselves if you insist. You know, We, we won't necessarily stick it in the podcast and unless you say it's okay uh, we just want news for ourselves first yeah <laughs> absolutely uh, yeah just quiet this last fortnight uh, Rudolph has been onto the forum uh, left us uh, quite a lengthy comment on the quarantine show notes yeah uh, which basically tackles various points that we've raised about Red Dwarf uh, now I'm not going to go through all the points that he's raised um, but yeah if you go on to the uh, website and check out the show notes for quarantine you'll see what his responses are to some of the questions we've asked yeah. during the quarantine episode yeah and uh, now one thing that he did mention that um that i really thought was worth uh talking about uh was something he found on the official red dwarf website about the um, pods. yeah yeah well he is he what he actually wrote was uh, a question we asked, are all sample pods and escape pods the same thing? Yeah. We commented that they look the same and surely one of them's tiny, but then there's an escape pod. Uh, we even mentioned, does Rimmer just put his light be in it and what have you? Uh, well, according to the official site, uh, in the Space Core database on the official website, the entry for escape pod, brackets, or sample pod it says this pod is strictly for mineral use. It is not an escape pod. We don't care if you've crashed on a Simoon or you need to send your hologram, hologram back to the mothership. Get yourselves out of your own problems. Room for two persons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the official website. That's the official answer. Uh, they are all sample pods, not meant for people, but you can squeeze two in if you want to. Um, but it breaks all regulations. <laughs> and uh, excellent find that, Rudolph. We really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, like I say, if you want to read the rest of his comments about the quarantine episode, um, you want to look at the show notes thread. Yeah, I hope it doesn't go through every single episode. Otherwise, we'll look like complete idiots. <laughs> Maybe oh, we, we, could probably, we could probably get another season of um, Scuttercast out just uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> going through Rudolph's notes. <laughs> yeah, just giving it, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we were wrong there, we were wrong there, and we were wrong there, and we were wrong there. <laughs> 
And oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> we, we, we were just wrong, period. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, as we've always said, I mean, we are just Red Dwarf fans. We, we never classed ourselves as experts. We're just Joe Public fans, and we far from know everything. Um, but <laughs> if anybody's listened more than one episode, you already know that. <laughs> Welcome to the Parrot Spa, the place you can drink a curry-flavoured tequila slammer that burns on the way in and on the way out. Parrot Spa. Now, you have convinced me to get hold of that EA Sports Active. Yeah. Uh, I've got uh, eight weeks to lose some weight for going to America. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's not bad. I've done it for... I think I've had... Started it on Thursday. I've yeah. had one rest day. Because okay, um, yeah. it puts in rest days. That's you do right, the. Yeah. I've, I've set it off on the 30 day challenge. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. I've already done the. You know, you get achievements for the week. You get seven days to do achievements. Yeah. Uh, well, I fulfilled one of those achievements for the week in three days, you know. so Fantastic. That's easy enough. It's, uh, I would say, in my opinion, uh, it's not too hard that you want to stop. Um, it's relatively easy to keep, you know, to complete the routines. Yeah. So far, I mean, they are getting harder as as I go on. Yeah. Uh, but even I, d- I did the hard setting the other day, uh, a hard workout, and finished it okay. It's easy enough to finish, but you know, you've had a bit of a workout. That's right. Yeah. But- um, especially on my legs for some reason, it doesn't seem to be doing my upper body as much as I thought it would. Um, um, as it advances, it does go into your upper body. Well, I did notice the last time I did it, whereas before you're doing curls with a piece of elastic under your feet, yeah. I thought, well, there's no pressure there on my arm. Yeah. When you're doing the curls that go into a shoulder, you know, raised arms raised up above your head, Yeah. there's more pressure there, and it seems to be... Um, I, th- I, I can see it getting better, you know, yeah. more of a workout as it goes on, more of a, a good, gradual difficulty coming into it. So I've not lost any weight on it yet, though. That was my final conclusion. <laughs> um, it's all its all about getting you fit, really. I mean, um, I did replace the bands m- myself. I didn't think the resistance on that red balloon thing that it gives you uh, was any good, to be honest. And I replaced that um, with... I, I got some off, um, I think it was Amazon or something, and just replaced that. that. Mate's condoms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about getting some... Uh, but you know them weights you get that strap around your wrist. Yeah, something like that for a bit of resistance. But yeah, yeah, yeah you could do that. See, see how it goes. See how it goes. Me myself, I've been doing like the majority of the UK this weekend. We've had the first bit of sun, so out doing the garden, doing the bushes and stuff like that. I actually got a suntan, so it must have been kind of warm. Um, I only know because I got in the shower on Saturday night. I'm like, ow, <laughs> something stings. I'm I'm kind of fair-skinned and fair-haired, so I've just got to look out the window at sun and I get sunburnt. So. It's it's time for you to start catching up on some podcasts, isn't it, now? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, get summer garden time, that's when you get through most of yours, isn't it? Yeah, because unfortunately at work, I don't really get a chance to listen to them. So I, I've actually looked forward to it. In fact, I, I, I've actually got to the end of it. I've managed to get to the end of the Harry Potter book. Right. It's taken me nearly a year. <laughs> Um, but it, it was in 17 CD forms um, uh, converted into MP3, and each one of those was an hour and 15 minutes. So, a long book. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I really enjoyed it. I have no idea what they're going to chop out of it to get it into a couple of films. But Is it the Stephen Fry red ones? 
It no, it wasn't. It was um, some other dude. I can't tell you who it was, but it was very good. It did all the voices, the works, and I really did enjoy it. A really good story, really good conclusion to the whole Harry Potter thing, and I'm really looking forward to seeing film form now. Um, well, I was supposed to go and see Kickass last week, yeah, uh, but that got cancelled. Um, wait, mate's wife had got a driving lesson, so um, it should be it should be this Wednesday. So. Um, those of you that are listening on the day of release, um, it should have been yesterday. I'm sorry, I'm trying to work out when it's out. And <laughs> yeah. uh, basically, if I did go and see it on Wednesday, if I am going to see it on Wednesday, by the, time you listen, <laughs> yeah, by the time you listen to this, there will be a review on the uh, website of my opinions of the film. Sure. So I've been, I've been talking about it a lot and I can't wait to actually go and see it. I can't believe we got put off by another bloody week. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you something I did once mention that uh, was not written down. Okay. Um, Doctor Who. Yes. Now you see this. I know Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Madam Flibble and yourself on the forum have not been too impressed with uh, the new Doctor. Well, to be honest, it's same at work. There's there's an absolute divide. Some people are loving it. Some people are like, it needs to get better. See, I'm in the loving it camp. It's. Um, I think the I think the best comment I've heard about it it was over on the Ganymede and Titan uh, site. I think it might have been um, Seb Patrick had made the comment that he's not playing his version of the Doctor. He is playing the character, the Doctor. He says there's only ever been one Doctor, but there's been eleven faces to this one Doctor. Sure, and he's playing the Doctor. He's basically. You know, you're seeing bits of the Davidson. You're seeing uh, bits of. Uh, yeah, I guess you see little bits of Tennant. You see little bits of Tom Baker. Yeah. Yeah, you, you see, that's just it. And I sit there watching it, and um, I don't know if it's just an age thing, you know, because every all the rest of the doctors have been older than me. Well, I thought that, but I can see him as an old. I, I can see him both as a young, revigorated doctor, you know, in a new body. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I can also see uh, glimmers of um, Hartnell, you know, the first Doctor, you know, and he quite elderly and frail, you know, he was ill for a lot of his uh, episodes that he did. But yeah. um, I can see that side to it, and um, he, he seems to me to have, uh, I can buy it that he's um, somebody that's a few centuries years old with lots of life experience there. Um but yeah, it's, it just seems weird that some, like you say, some are seeing it and some aren't. Most that I seem to be seeing on the internet seems to be positive. Yeah. But I am coming, the negative I am coming across seems to be um, very negative. You know what I mean? Uh, people just really not liking it, but can't quite put the finger on why. Um, I am struggling to like Matt Smith. I, I honestly don't know what it is. Um, I mean, I thought that this last episode as well was a bit pants, to be honest. Um, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's not seen it yet. But I just thought the whole story and everything was a bit kind of just okay. It, it was almost like they pushed the boat out for the first one, and I thought the first episode was good, but I didn't gel with Matt Smith. The second episode was just kind of a bit dull with everything, personally. The one thing I, one thing I always questioned with... Uh not just Tenant, but I seem to remember being particularly disappointed by Tenant stories with this, is that um, all of a sudden the Doctor just turns and say, oh, I know what's going to happen, blah, 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 and, you know, come up with a solution that 
they could have written anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. I've got this um, psychic paper that will get me out of this, or I've pushed this button and it's done a reset. Blah blah blah. You know, there's lots of different. Uh, lots of different ways of getting out of stuff. Yeah. I actually liked the conclusion to this story. You know, the Doctor was going to do something drastic. And um, I, I love the character Amy Pond as well. You know, Amelia Pond. She's... Yeah. Uh, the way she seems to equal the Doctor. She seems to match the Doctor for um, decisions and bottle and, you know, observations made and things like that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's still early days. I mean, we get it with every new doctor and every new assistant. It's early days. It's. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't stand David Tennant when he first started. I couldn't stand Billy as an assistant when it all started. And it's just, you, you get the groan, you. Yeah. So yeah. I'll reserve judgment until I've seen a couple more episodes. But so far, I'm, I'm not blown away. Gaming-wise, my game of choice over the last fortnight has been Dragon Age. It's it's too much to tell you about. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's almost like an offline Warcraft. Um, you play as a dude, and you go into battle many many times, and you choose your other three companions, and they've all got their own skills and weaknesses, and you get to control all of them. Um, so if you've got a guy up front, he's tanking, or I should say, he's like covered in armour and he's doing some hefty slaying at the front you can then switch to a mage at the back and keep healing him and putting spells on him then switch to another one and go and flanking him from another side it's very very engrossing game I mean yesterday alone um, I put in nearly an 11 hour session <laughs> and looking at the counter I've been playing it for about 30 hours now and it says I've only uncovered 35% of the game so I was like, Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's not an indication of not being very good then. <laughs> <laughs> no, the game's just absolutely massive. It's it's very like Mass Effect. It's by the same people. Every decision you make changes the outcome of the game. And it's like you can you can either side with somebody and then they become on your team or you go against them and you end up fighting against them. Or It just totally changes the game. It's very, very, very immersive. Is it, um, what is it, on Xbox or it's PC? On, um, Xbox, PC, and on the PS3. Right. Well, I've, um, we've heard from the insurance company now. Uh, yeah. They're pay, paying up for, um, I had a PSP that was stolen in a house breaking. That's right, yeah. Um, now, it looks like they're going to be paying the full amount that I paid for it two or three years ago. Oh wow! So that's um, it was at uh, well, it was at the in-laws' house, and um, they've got everything. They basically had a cash a card come through that they can use it. Um, there's about a dozen shops and stores, uh, nationwide stores, that they can use it at Fantastic. to replace the jewelry and electrical equipment that's been stolen. Um, and basically, it looks like they're going to. It, looks like they've gone with the not the replacement price it looks like they've gone for the um, original paid price cool what we paid two three years ago for the psp uh, and we've also got the game and the memory card that they're paying for um so it looks like if not before certainly after the uh, holiday after june um i'll be getting the xbox fantastic so that's that's looking good um now I've been going through, and you know, I've been uh, catching up on TV shows, yeah, uh, and what have you. 
One that I missed last year was a Channel 4 show. I think it was on E4, actually, called Misfits. Okay. I don't know if, you, uh, if you've seen this or heard of it. I've heard the name because it made me remember a film um, from like the 80s called Misfits of Science. Yeah. What it is, it's, um, it's a fantastic piece of superhero sci-fi uh, drama. Okay. Um, it's basically, it's, it's a group of, there's about five or six chavs that are on, um, got to do uh, community service. Okay. You know, um, I think one of them got into trouble uh, at a pick and mix. Um, one of them is a, an ex-sports star that was a, a hopeful for the Olympics, but uh, he got caught uh, with cocaine right. and so on and so forth. And, you know, they've all got the story. Uh, most of them are quite chavvy. There's a big mouth gobby one that you'd love to punch in the face, but by the end, he ends up being your favourite character. is absolutely hilarious. Right. Um, what happens is they're, they're, they're doing the community service. They get struck by lightning. This weird storm comes over. They get struck by lightning, and it changes them. They all develop a superpower. Okay. Now, you've got some superpowers are really good. There's, there's reading minds. There's invisibility. There's the ability to make time go backwards. Okay. Um, one of them... It's the ability to drive men mild, drive men wild with desire every time they touch this girl, which okay. basically she uh, every time it happens she ends up nearly being the victim of a very serious sexual assault. Right, okay. not not the greatest of uh, superhero powers. No, but it was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I really really enjoyed watching it, and so yeah, I'd recommend uh, catching up on that. Uh, also, I don't know if there's any fans of Breaking Bad. Uh, oh, you mentioned here. this on the forum, yeah. Now, I've spoke about this on the forum. Uh, yeah, I, I watched the first series uh, on, I think it was on one of the obscure channels, on uh, 5 USA or on Fiverr or uh, something like that. And I watched it, and I've been keeping an eye out for the second series. And I found out that it was actually shown over here in autumn of last year, and I'd missed it. Okay, so I've obtained a copy, and okay. I've watched I've watched series two, and I love this show. It's really fantastic. For those that don't know about it, it's the um, it's the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. Ah, oh, right, yes, and, yes. And he plays a teacher who he's got a he's got a son that's fifteen years old, nearly sixteen, who's disabled, uh, needs crutches to get around. Um, his wife finds out she's pregnant and round about the same time he finds out that he's got lung cancer and that it's terminal and he's basically they're in debt the insurance his health insurance has just run out and um, to basically fund his treatment and to make sure he leaves a bit of a financial legacy to see his family right he starts he's a chemistry teacher at school and he starts going into um, making crystal meth right so yeah, he turns into a cook for crystal meth, and then they end up getting on the wrong side of big, you know, big time gangsters. And there's some brutal deaths in it, and it's a fantastic drama. And I thought series two, it had a weird ending to the series. I'm not going to ruin it, but it's well worth catching up with. Yeah, and it had a weird ending, and I thought, oh, that's a strange way to end it. But I can't see it getting another series, and I just dismissed it. Yeah. 
just found out they're actually in America. They're on the fourth episode of the third series. So I have got more to catch up on now. Oh, uh, but yeah, really, really recommend Breaking Bad. Um, it's it's worth looking into and getting hold of. It's fantastic. Really enjoyed that. Excellent news. Ooh, oh, just final one thing. Um, one, I suppose, the most major thing that's happened to me over the last two weeks is... Um, I finally got my button to gear and got myself an iPhone. I've had an iPod Touch now for about two and a half, three years, but I was having to carry around my Nokia with me as well and do like wireless hotspot type thing. But yeah, I went on Fleabay, got myself a nice iPhone 3GS, and now my life is complete. Um, I mean, there's a new for, um, there's new software coming out for the Apple, the OS 4, which has got many, many features on there. And there's new iPhones coming out in about three or four months. But I just couldn't wait any longer, to be honest. So I bought this off Fleabay. My contract has run out with Voda, but I'll just renew it when the new one comes out and give this one to our last. Near enough, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm happy with that. This week's Podcast of the Week is, as you heard from the trailer earlier, and I slid it together by Anthony, is Captain Crenum. Over to you, Anthony. Yeah, well... I found this on iTunes. On I was looking through some various podcasts, and um, you know the listeners also subscribe to section. Yeah, just clicking on them, and all of a sudden I came across one that was listeners also subscribe to Captain Kremen. Now, for those that don't know, Captain Kremen was an, a, a creation by Kenny Everett. Yeah. And I remember it from the TV show. It was turned into an animated section of the Kenny Everett show. And uh, I remember it being zany, wacky, my sort of thing. It was a superhero, comedy, superhero, sci-fi stroke, you know, cartoon, little short cartoon clips. Yeah. Uh, so obviously I saw Captain Kremen there and knew it was the same one because of the picture on the um, icon. And I thought that, uh, that looks like my sort of thing. So I've downloaded it. Absolutely fantastic. Now, the, the thing with Kenny Everett is or was, sorry, should say, is everybody talks about the genius that was Kenny Everett. I've always heard about his radio shows. People used to record it, edit out the music, and just listen to Kenny Everett and used to save him on cassette. Well, I missed the whole radio side of Kenny Everett. Um, All all I know him for, I'm sure you're the same, was his slightly more tame TV show. Yeah, that's what I remember. Um, So, yeah, finding this Captain Kremen, um, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. Right. Captain Kremen is available as a free podcast on iTunes. Okay. It is also available on iTunes as an audio book. And I think it's £3 a book and it's in two parts. Right. So essentially you can either have it for free or you can decide to pay six quid for it. And from what I gather, it's pretty much the same thing. Right. Okay. I I might be wrong with that, but I think it's the same thing. Um, Now, it was originally aired by... Capital Radio, uh, Kenny Everett did it for Capital Radio in the 70s, late 70s. Uh, he does all of the voices except for the recap at the start of each episode, which is done by Tommy Vance, okay. uh, with one of his fellow DJs. Uh, each episode is about five minutes long. But what's um, what I find so entertaining, it's not just the comedy, it's how much story he squeezes into five minutes. It's, right. there's, not, there's not a wasted word. There's sound effects. There's not a wasted word. It's, there's a lot of innuendo. There's a lot of... Um, it's zany, wacky fun. Um, it's a little bit Python-esque, but not quite. It's, it's Kenny Everett. 
Yeah. And it's Kenny Everett at his best. And it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, if you do, um, if you look on iTunes, just, just do a search for Captain Kremen. Uh, Kremen is K R E M M E N. Yeah. Um, alternatively, you can go to www.creationpodcasts.com. And, um, and there's a more direct link on the podcast of the week section, which includes the direct link. But I think from the front page, you'll be able to find it on there anyway. And yeah, it is so worth a listen. It really, really cracked me up. It's I think it was 25 episodes long. Each one's about five minutes long. Fantastic stuff. Really good listen. Excellent news. I'll give it a listen. Right. Well, that's it for this week. If you want to join us on the forum, it's reddwarfforum.com. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash reddwarfforum. And finally, if you want to bother us in an email, it's scuttercast at reddwarfforum.com. Oh, just to an addition on that, if you we release these episodes under the Fiction Shed name, which is what Scuttercast is under and what last week's podcast of the week, um, Eccentricast, was under, we've recently set up a Facebook group. So just search on Facebook for Fiction Shed and you'll find us on there and then you'll be alerted when anything else gets released, so any Scuttercast, Eccentricast and any of the other projects that we do. A lot of them are good listens, but they might, you might not like, but... Give them a try. Right, we'll be back in two weeks' time with the start of Series 6, and that's Sirens. So, see you then. Bye. Bye.